Um, so yeah, man, thanks for making it by. I know busy, get a little more free time now that you're not doing the Secretary of State thing. And so, um, yeah, maybe just a little background on like who you are and kind of how we met and how you got involved in politics. And then we'll talk about the elections and integrity stuff, which is, I think, what people are tuning in. It's why I'm here. Great. Yeah, I think uh, like a lot of people, I, I started tuning in once the kind of totalitarian uh, flavor started arriving here in Minnesota around the COVID story, the pandemic, as many mm-hmm. speak to it now. And, and then right after the election, I started to think back to my childhood growing up in different places around the world, in Gabon and in Indonesia and in China living a year in Beijing and thinking about how my supposition about how elections went in a place like America and how they must be different. Like we must have free and fair elections in this country where coming from Indonesia, they had a 32 year president Mm -hmm. um, where our company, my dad's company had been uh, we'd evacuated because there were millions of people in the streets leading to the resignation of that 32-year president. And then living in Beijing, China, where, uh, you know, you've had the uniparty system, mm-hmm. uh, the CCP since 1949, and seeing that contrast. But now, from November 3rd till now, we're almost two years from November 3rd, 2020, sitting here in September of 22, it's becoming apparent to me that our elections aren't or haven't been what they've been sold to us as. In other words, there, there's been this illusion that we've bought as, an, as the American people. And so uh, my attention started to focus in on that uh, right after the election and uh, since then became involved in trying to get audits in the summer of 2021 and then was one of uh, a few people that was at Mike Lindell's uh, cyber symposium in August of 21, as well as his uh, Moment of Truth Summit in Springfield in August of 22. And so I got to see how uh, grassroots movements across the country uh, got started, Mm -hmm. how they started communicating with each other to share information about what was going on in their county, in their state, and uh, I think was at the front end of watching and observing and seeing how all that happened and then learning what our elections, uh, how they should go, and then how they went in 2020. Well, I think if you took a lot of people off the street that are either, you know, historical left of center voters or, you know, people that may not be that plugged in. I think there's even people on the, what would be called the establishment right, that are like, they think this is some new phenomenon where all of a sudden it's Trump and we can't trust the elections. But like, how many Democrats rode around in 2000 thinking that Bush was an illegitimate president? Hillary Clinton still thinks she beat Donald Trump in 2016. Stacey Abrams still thinks that she's the governor of Georgia. She lost, Hillary lost, and George Bush won in 2000. And so this myth that somehow questioning the integrity of our elections is some right-wing conspiracy, that you're crazy, that it's one side only, that it all revolves around Trump, 
No, I think it's a symptom of people losing faith gradually over time for a variety of reasons in our electoral system. And, you know, look, Saddam Hussein was elected, <laughs> okay? So you can either have what would be widely regarded as legitimate elections, where even the losers grudgingly accept the results of those elections, or you can have elections where more and more people feel like they are systematically disenfranchised by the process itself. And that's the road that I think we're going down. Our country is predicated on the peaceful transfer of power, and that requires having faith in open, free, and fair elections. And by fair, I think the consensus definition would be everyone who is legally permitted to vote should have the opportunity to vote, and all those votes should be counted one time. I think that's a pretty bland, vanilla definition. Yeah. But each part of that, right, who can vote, how do they vote, when do they vote, who counts the votes, every single piece of that sentence can have arguments and issues around it. So right now, you know, you're a felon, well, you don't get to vote. Um, and I think there's great arguments to be had around like, well, when is that restitution paid, right? When can you re-enfranchise someone like that? Um, should they lose that right anyways? You have certain factions in this country saying non-Americans, right? I I aliens here legally or illegally should have the right to vote. Now that's bonkers. There's no other country where that's the case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we somehow, uh, th there's a faction of people who think that like that should be the norm. And some states that are moving towards making that a possibility or attempting to, to do that. I mean, the courts have struck that down and be like, no, there's no non-citizen right to vote. You know, even mm -hmm. if you're talking municipal elections, like legally here or not, you can't, no matter what country you go to, they would laugh at you if you attempted in France or the UK or India or wherever to, mm -hmm. to, to vote. So who's enfranchised? And then the idea of, okay, is it one day? Is it uh, more than one vote per person? It's like a ranked choice system that gives more than one vote to, to certain people and not to others. Um, how are those votes counted? You know, I think we, most people would have no problem with saying, look, if you have a room of 30 people in all cast paper ballots and you've got three different people that are not running for the election all counting those ballots a few times people will be pretty good feel pretty good about that election yet it's somehow at scale when it comes to managing an, a country with thermonuclear weapons and a massive military and a, you know 20 tr something trillion dollar economy uh yet all of a sudden that all those safeguards start to go out the window mm -hmm. and we really saw during the pandemic the the unilateral dismantling of reasonable safeguards. I mean, you can't take anyone seriously that says a person should get to cast more than one vote, right? But yet, you know, it seemed like we have safeguards in place to ensure that you either get an in-person ballot or you get a mail-in ballot. But if you send one in and you go vote in person, do we have a mechanism to make sure you didn't vote twice? I mean, I, I can't think of any reasonable left of center voter who'd be like, well, that would be good. No, that's not good. We realized that someone got to vote twice or more than twice, or that you picked up a whole bunch of ballots and didn't send them back with any other identifiable information. They got counted. So there's this deeper problem that I think we have to get away from saying this is a right-wing conspiracy thing to say that the election was not legitimate. You've had for a long time people questioning the legitimacy of elections. I'm sure going back into the 1800s or the founding of this country, right? Politics 
hasn't changed. It's always been a blood sport full of mudslinging. And I'm sure they're like, this Jefferson's an illegitimate president. He, whatever, cheated in Virginia. And we have to get away from that. So I think the way that we get away from that is having faith that our election systems are functional, they're secure, the right people are voting, and those votes are being counted. So you got super into this, very involved. You mentioned Mike Lindell. We talk about um, about him and how he's almost become a just a, a lightning pole. Like there's a fraction of people who just shut down their brains as soon as you mention his name. And you're like, well, I don't think you can do that. Like you may not like him or agree with him, but you need to have a better reason than I don't like him, right? Before you just say everything that he's brought up, it doesn't count at all. So, you know, you actually ran for, for Secretary of State um, primarily on this platform, right? To, to try to fix our elections. So w- what's the current state of elections in Minnesota? You know, talk to me like I'm a skin doctor, right? Start from the beginning. Like I, I'm an enfranchised voter uh, or someone that we agree is in the bucket of non-prohibited person, U.S. citizen, has voting rights, can vote. Um, what do I do to cast a ballot? How does that work? And then what happens to it once I've cast it and how does it get counted? And try to bootstrap this thing and figure out where stuff can go wrong. Sure. So as a voter, you have a few options. Um, We're heading into the general uh, or the midterm election here in November. And uh, you can now begin casting an absentee ballot at this point. So you could submit... Uh, More than a month out. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't foresee that being the case going forward very much longer, but it's, it is something that we, the people, do have to impress But how upon. do we end up here? How do we end up not having one election day? Uh, that, that, there is a bit of a history of how we got to the, the absentee. So absentee, we've had that for some time from mil- distant military yeah, right. and so That's forth. Right. Yep. Um, or if like your dad yeah. growing up in Indonesia, right? You should yeah. get to vote somewhere. Right. You're a U.S. citizen. You're paying U.S. taxes. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was expanded um, considerably. Uh, w- we had a record number of absentee or mail-in votes cast because you have to remember, we also have precincts in certain counties. Which, Where it's only uh, mail-in. And, and that, by the way, can be revoked by the commissioners in those counties. They can revoke the mail-in only option because there are some folks that don't even have a chance to vote in their precinct because that's been taken away. Um, and Explain that to me. So I guess one, yeah. I didn't know for a long time that there were municipal or areas in Minnesota where you don't show up on polling day and cast a vote. Correct. Right? You, you can't. You you actually there actually isn't a, a polling place in some places. So you're you're actually mailed your ballot. So there's a distinction between a mail-in ballot and what's sort of colloquial known as the absentee ballot, which is usually mailed in as well. Okay. And so in Minnesota, you know, in, in the middle of winter in November, maybe driving 45 minutes through the snow, the idea was, well, we'll have this mail-in process in those precincts. However, there were resolutions passed to even remove the, like, remove the ability to show up in a polling precinct. So I think that uh, will probably be reversed, and it's just a matter of those commissioners saying, you know what, we're going to return to having a polling place for this particular swath or these different areas. but like we can get into later of, of the different action steps that are happening in the county level, like we do have to do have to make that happen. It's not just going to happen by itself. Okay. Um, but you were talking about the different ways that I can vote and what happens. So at the end of the day, whether it's an absentee or an early vote or an in-person at the polling place, my paper ballot in Minnesota is going to be scanned into a tabulator. 
So you're going to be using a Dominion ICE tabulator or ESNS DS200 tabulator or a Heart InterCivic scanner. Those are the three vendors we currently use. Now that scanner is going to use optical mm -hmm. recognition to interpret the ovals on that ballot. And, but you have to consider that the voting, uh, the candidates in each place are different because we have Senate districts yep. and so on. Uh, county commissioners, there's a programmable uh, thumb drive which actually programs that uh, particular tabulator in your precinct that you're going to scan that paper ballot into so that it knows which, uh, which, which options are available. Into. Right. And so um, that's relevant later when we get into a discussion of the electronic uh, security issues. Okay. But I'm going to scan that in, and that tabulator is going to is going to record, tally, and then report my vote my vote choices. So would it spit it out right away if, like, I checked two things on the same line, or I voted in a Republican and a Democrat primary, or it was ineligible? I didn't fill in the box adequately. Would it tell me right then so I could try to recast my vote? I, I believe uh, s some may, but there's also an ad adjudication process um, where if I do make a mistake that um, that would then go to like a workstation where that could be reviewed. Okay. Um, so I think the bottom line is that we have to remember that as a voter, you're not receiving a receipt for your for your choices. Right. Yeah, that's true. So why did we end up with the machines? Those machines didn't exist in 1965. Why did we bring them in um, and what kind of oversight have has the state or elected officials had over one the selection of the machine, two how the machines work, three reporting? Why don't I get a receipt? So the Secretary of State in Minnesota is responsible for uh, for certifying the uh, the vendor's equipment. Now there's also an Election Assistance Commission that's a federal agency which certifies the various equipment, whether it's a tabulator or an election um, management system, which is essentially the database. Which it sounds at. sinister. <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit system. sinister. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that that is essentially what's aggregating all of the vote totals from every everyone through that come through the tabulators themselves. Um, but the Secretary of State is responsible for the certifying in in Minnesota law. Okay. And then the counties uh, will make selections on which vendor they want to go with. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of issues right now because the places like CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, for instance, a couple months back issued an advisory. That's a government? Correct. Agency? Okay. Correct. Federal government? Correct. Okay. And they, they issued an advisory on one of the vendors, uh, which I think put a lot of people uh, in a place of unease, just in the general public who are watching this from afar, who hadn't had the, the detailed insight that some others have had. Um, but maybe as a, as a way of getting into I think the crux of the matter, which really is the electronic voting system mm -hmm. overall, is you had mentioned thermonuclear weapons. <laughs> some of some of the most uh, some of the 
like most trusted experts now on electronic voting systems have previous uh, experience with security of nuclear weapon systems in the United States government at places like Sandia Labs. And so it's this kind of caliber of people that uh, I feel it's my role to help try to synthesize a lot of the information they're sharing and try to share it with the wider public. Well, our nukes, you know, yeah. those systems are all air-gapped. Like any mm -hmm. very secure system is air-gapped. So air-gapped means that th it's not connected to a network. You actually have to yeah. walk a thumb drive over. In the case of most of our ICBMs, you reprogram them by taking literally a large floppy disk. This is before your time, since you're younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> but a big version of the five and a quarter floppy floppy disks is why it takes so long to reprogram, and you actually have to move that targeting data and plug it into a computer. There's an issue with, you know, these things go bad because uh, they're electromechanical devices. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you have to, like, keep the company alive that makes these, I think they're like seven-inch floppy disks or something like that, which is mm -hmm. bonkers, right? Like, th th this is the third leg of our nuclear triad, and it runs on floppy disks. But if something has to be secure, right, that is hard to hack. So you sacrifice speed. It might take you 30 minutes to re-aim that nuke or an hour or whatever it is. Um, but what you gain is a massive level of security. So maybe you could one-off something, there could be a small error, but you're not going to have this catastrophic thing where all the nukes don't work or they all go in the wrong direction. Um, we talk about this with paper ballots. I mean, I think that, you know, so you might ask the question, well, why do we even have tabulators in the first place? Like, why can't we just count these things by hand? How much time do we really save why don't you just get more volunteers to count uh, and then keep the stuff so it's verifiable, audit it afterwards. I don't understand what's wrong with that. Like what has gone wrong with pencil and paper? But sometimes it's this like, you know, the, the story of how we got the space pen, we spent $12 million to making a space pen and the Russians just used a pencil. Right. You know, it's, sometimes I don't understand what is more secure than paper because you can cheat on paper ballots for sure, right? But like it's a onesie twosie cheating, not a 100,000 votes. Um, you know, the New York Democratic mayoral primary had a massive electronic voting scandal and it got like no coverage. It was hundreds of thousands of votes fat fingered into the wrong column. That's, and, and it would have changed the outcome. Eric Adams wouldn't have won the primary. Right. Um, that's the kind of error that you can get when you have machines tabulating votes and you're not necessarily privy to it. Or even within the 2020 election, I think the, maybe the one case that your average person might know was like um, Antrim County in Michigan. Like that was never controversial. They literally said, yeah, we, if it wasn't for the local officials saying that this doesn't make any sense for a 90% Trump County, no one would have gone back and been like, whoops, the wrong data was updated. Well, one, how can there be wrong data updated? There is supposed to be just the data from the machines in that county. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for one enterprising person who said, this is incorrect, I know this, they wouldn't have gotten caught. And no one, left, right, or center, argues that that data point is false. So you have to look at all this and be like, this is terrifying, right? We effectively have networked thermonuclear weapons, right? The future of our democracy is at risk. No, not enough people or no people are looking at the data on this. Some of it's, a lot of it's not air-gapped and you don't really know what goes in, right? You or I don't get a receipt of our vote. Mm. There's like, what is the time savings versus just counting these? Why were these things even introduced in the first place? How is this such mm -hmm. a, why was it such a massive issue to just wait 48 hours for the hand vote to be completed? Mm -hmm. um, 
And if we were going to use a device, well, you know, I'm all for the free markets, but sometimes things are important enough where it's, why isn't it open source code? Why isn't there just one governmental vendor where everyone's vetting the code for this thing and one device and this is what we use and, you know, it has security that we can all feel comfortable with? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I, I think the, the, the simple solution to the, like, is the human hand tally and you repurpose the budget of the maintenance, the purchase, the, all the updates that have to mm -hmm. happen of the, the various equipment, the security, to hiring enough election judges mm -hmm. to go through the statutory process, which already exists as a fail-safe disaster kind of situation when the equipment wouldn't work in a yeah. situation that you would use to hand tally those ballots. And uh, you, you get through that process um, immediate verification um, because you have two individuals counting. Um, you could also have a, a future where you're just live streaming that so mm -hmm. anyone can watch it. Um, and, you know, there are, are implementations of a human hand tally which are going into effect in places like Nye County, Nevada already for this November so that we can show the world this is how, like, it can like be done. America can do this. Yeah. We know that places like France do this and, like, you know, other places in Europe that... Places that ask for voter ID, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but I think, it, I think it's worthwhile just um, mentioning how we did get there because um, I believe it was 2000 Bush Gore, you had the hanging Chad hanging Chads, narrative. Right. Which were a problem, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, if you don't know if the vote was cast, for that, that is a problem. Right. And so there's a whistleblower that came out of the company that produced um, the, the cards yeah. that, um, that, that's, that suggested that those faulty cards possibly were, were produced as a setup to create this event where, because this whistleblower had said, you know what, the electronic voting equipment from that particular company, yeah. which after 2002 Help America Vote Act went through and provided all this money for the electronic equipment, this whistleblower said, you know what, like they weren't picking up in sales. So maybe, you know, what I saw, which was us creating faulty cards in this particular county in Florida, I think of it, I don't know if it was, if it was Tampa area, um, but regardless, there was about 10,000 or so faulty cards that produced the hanging chads. Mm. And because of the, the, the spotlight, on Florida with those those 20 plus electoral college votes yeah. for the presidential election. Yeah. Maybe that was what helped convince a lot of folks that, you know what, maybe we should go to these electronic voting systems because they have more efficiency, accuracy, and so forth. Right. When our intuition wouldn't necessarily have had, our, our intuition, when we sit, sit quietly and ask ourselves, like what would be the safest way to count votes? It, we know that we know that it's it's having two two or more people yep. looking at it and agreeing and then making the tally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we mentioned it goes into that tabulator, but it seems like it, it seems like the vote should be provisional until humans count it. So I don't have a problem using a tabulator if you want to speed up getting a provisional vote count out because you can't sure. change the votes after the polls close. Sure, but then hand count them. Right, so you you can have your election night parties, and you can know what's up. And a week later, we said, "Yep, we verified it, and it was you know off by one vote or this vote." But you know, these are too close to call, so we can't release that because it's within some margin of error. We have to hand count them. 
that just seems bizarre, right? All those these devices do is save time. So, I mean, they're no more or less accurate. You can confuse the machine by partially marking a block and then they'll either throw it out. Um, and that's problematic if it happens when you're not there to spoil your other ballot and cast a better one, right? I mean, that would also be a potential use of the machine is, hey, this doesn't look right. Go to the election judge and sort this out with some humans. Um, but if it just takes it, puts it into the bin and says, I don't know where these numbers go or doesn't count them at all, well, you d d disenfranchised, probably an enfranchised voter. So I, I see them as useful for speed. But it, again, the hand count is what does it, especially if there's a partisan on both sides saying, yep, we agree on this vote and both going to sign off on mm -hmm. it. Is fraud still possible? For sure. But again, it's small. Yes, it's we're, we're minimizing. Yeah, we're minimizing the the ways that fraud can occur. Yes, by removing that electronic component, because now it's it's the human and whatever the legal process is yeah. for the election, we can we can look at a number of exploitations that are available within the law today for voter fraud or election fraud to occur. Well, because that's its so, own separate yes. bucket. I mean, we'll talk mostly about electronic stuff today, but like yeah. there's old school voting. You know, ever since mob bosses, you need, ever since there was power to be had in elections, there has been election fraud, right? Dead men voted in Chicago, which is why Chicago mm -hmm. is like it is, um, for generations. And it was accepted, it was, it was just joked about, right? Vote early, vote often. Like if you grew up in the Chicagoland area, I don't think you think a legitimate mayor of Chicago has been elected right. for forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you can bust people in from out of district. You can, um, vote for dead people or people who are in prison and can't vote. You can, um, you know, destroy properly cast ballots. So there's a number of ways where kind of there's old old school fraud. Correct. None of that's good. Everyone should, you know, be up in arms about that. Um, you know, things like voter ID, which again, I think all but one country in Europe have. And so, you know, these kind of, the people on the left are like, we should be more like Europe. You're like, yeah, I guess when it comes to voter ID, probably we should. Yeah. Um, it, it's bonkers that we don't have that control here. It mm -hmm. just means one person, one vote. You can make your ID free, right? That's something we could choose to do as a state. I think that'd be a great thing to do. But let's make sure you're you, and let's make sure you have a right to vote. And then you get yes. to cast one and only one vote. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to mail it in, or if you want to show up on the day, that's a separate discussion, but at least then we're sure it's one person, one vote, right. counted correctly. Right. So I put this thing into this tabulator. It counts it. I don't get a receipt. What happens to the paper? It seems like there's a bucket below it. Does it store the ballot? Yeah, so the, the ballot goes into that kind of trash can looking <laughs> <Yeah>. device. <laughs> those, those ballots ultimately are going to be compared, the number of ballots are going to be compared against the the number of voters that came in and voted that day. So okay. that's one of the checks that the election judges will do. The election judges are also going to check the tape that gets printed out um, of the tabulator at the end once the polls are closed and check that that total number matches the number of ballots, right. physical ballots, and the number of people that came in. What's not ever checked, of course, is if the tally would for each, the real for each county commissioner. Yeah. Because that's not part of the process. Now, that's uh, wild. That's bonkers yeah. that no one's going back and saying, even in a spot check fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just pick t t 10 random counties right out of the 87. Let's hand count theirs. Or even precincts. Let's hand count mm -hmm. some precincts. Like if I was engineering this as a system and I wanted to do these things, you'd say like, yeah, let's check something. But that doesn't happen. So Correct. my vote goes into this bucket. 
they count the number of votes that came, the number of uh, ballot slips that were given out. They count the number of ballot slips that are in the box. Those should match. I'm assuming usually they do. Then the machine tells you, I recorded 700 votes. Mm -hmm. But that's a problem. That's where you can introduce error. Well, yeah, you got seven. You got the same number, but uh, 25 plus 75 is not the same as 75 plus 25. Correct. And there's no check for that. And to do that, you'd need to just hand count what's in there, which mm -hmm. doesn't seem like that heavy of a lift. And actually, there was a township in Sherburne that agreed with you for the primary. Before the primary, they passed a resolution in their township uh, board of supervisors meeting that said, we, Haven Township, are going to hand tally and machine tally all of our votes. Okay. And I think that the Secretary of State caught wind of that, although I can't confirm that. And I think that the Sherwood County Auditor and Attorney caught wind of that. Something happened where the Board of Supervisors wasn't able to follow through on that resolution to make that hand tally occur on the day of the election. It was only 369 votes. That's crazy that they didn't have the right to just count their votes both ways, right? They're not saying we won't use the machines. We're just going to also count what's in the box. That's why I thought it was a brilliant resolution. It's a great resolution. And I think there, that, that's something that can be encouraged right now by everyone within their townships, because that's even below the county level. It, usually our townships are only meeting a month, uh, once a month. Uh, and, you know, they're usually regular folks just like you. Yeah. Uh, whereas the county commissioners, there's, it's a bit more of a political position than that supervisor at the mm -hmm. township level would be. So it's, it's something to be, to be repeated, I think. So yeah. if 20 of these, 20 townships do it, uh, that would get awkward if they told all 20 of these places, you're not allowed to do that. Right. What do you mean we're not allowed to? We're elected officials in charge of the votes in this township. Yes. Uh, That's right. And they have uh, what I believe is called concurrent jurisdiction. Like, they're responsible. The way that our like, republic is set up in terms of our, our, our voting is that it's at the lowest possible level that you have jurisdiction to mm -hmm. produce that election votes. result. Right. And actually, the county commissioners are responsible for certifying uh, their county's election before it goes to the state level and goes to the Minnesota State Canvassing Board certification process, right, before it goes to the, elec the electors at the national level. Okay. And so each of those stages, um, there is a chance for someone to have courage and say, you know what, uh, it wasn't my choice to use these machines, and I'm not comfortable based upon what I've learned about them Maybe we passed a resolution to hand tally and machine tally, and the hand tally didn't happen. So I'm going to withhold my Until certification. Until the hand tally yeah. happens. Right. And, and this actually happened in New Mexico in uh, Otero County. There are only three county commissioners there, but they decided to withhold their primary certification in their June primary. And that brought, you know the weight of the world <laughs> upon them when they did that, but also showed everyone, oh, wait a second. Like, was it so wrong of them to ask a few questions about the machines? Because to your point, the vendors will not give up their source code. It's actually in the contracts with the states that that won't be released. The states do have the source code in escrow, so they could, the Secretary of State could 
choose to release that. Mm. Um, the chair of a major party could raise money and have a third party verification of that source code as well. So if you're a DFL or GOP, like that's something that could be done as well. Um, but even people like Jeffrey Lemberg, you mentioned Antrim County. Yeah. He was brought in as an expert witness. He was a Sandia Labs working on weapons. He was brought in, he wrote 10 expert witness reports in that investigation in Antrim. But he also is, is famous for producing a vote swap where he had a tabulator and he had the election management system, the sinister election management system, and he had seven votes, uh, four Trump, two Biden, one Jorgensen. And he put those in the tabulator and then in the election management system, flipped the votes and made the tape printout from the tabulator match that, which is all that the election judges are checking, right? Because they're not checking that third piece, the physical ballots in our right. current process. So he basically showed the world in that investigation, here's one way that I could swap votes using the system as is. And this is all public testimony. This Correct. is all stuff people can read about and look up. Correct. And, and it's the solution so simple. Count the pieces of paper, you have it. Yeah. And you could reassure everybody that no, this is, you may not like the result, but this is what the votes are that are in this box. And that's been uh, a, what has raised people's awareness further. Uh, I, I like to say that the Secretary of State did us a favor in January of this year by declining the forensic audit that first the people in Crow Wing County wanted. They went to six consecutive commissioner meetings sharing the evidence that they had found. Eventually, the commissioner said, you know what, to satisfy our constituents, as they should, we, we've seen enough evidence. We want to do a forensic audit of our like, relatively small population county here in Crow Wing. And what, would that, what does that mean? What does a forensic audit mean in that Let's scenario? look at the physical ballots. Let's look at the um, absentee envelopes. Let's look at the logs of the... Uh, digital equipment. Let's look right. at the logs of the tabulators. Let's look at the logs of the EMS and see see what we see. Right. Uh, make sure that everything is clean. But predominantly, it's it's a hand tally, right? I mean, even if you said, you know, people say, oh, forensic audit, and guy, I heard that on some Mike Lindell video, and they want to look at the source code. You're like, no, you just want to see the ballots. Correct. Because then if there's a massive discrepancy, that well, then everyone in the room should be like, this is bonkers. Or if things are the same, then it's like, Okay, but we just right. want to count the ballots. Right. So it's crazy to me <laughs> that there's so much pushback against counting the ballots. We have them. I mean, don't, don't they need to be kept for some period of time? Yeah, so there's a, within Minnesota state statute, it's 22 months, which matches the federal minimum of 22 months. Um, but interestingly, that's, the, that's the, uh, one of the excuses that we get when now there's been a big movement um, to access what are called the cast vote records. This is basically a machine audit. It's a report of the data that is taken as uh, the tabulators are scanning those ovals okay. on, your, on your ballot. It's a report that shows 100% of the votes that went through that tabulator on a tabulator by tabulator basis. Um, which is public data. And there's been a process of submitting public data requests county by county. I think 
there's been one sent to every county now in Minnesota. But we only a few days ago got the first two CASFA records released. Um, the one that's public is Fillmore County uh, down in the southeast. Yep. And that's, that's the first uh, one of these digital reports which shows, uh, which clearly verify the results. They're not the paper, okay. but it's a report that um, based on like the Election Assistance Commission standards has been built in to all of the election equipment. It's, it's a standard across the United States. And uh, you got me onto that point because you said we had the physical ballots. We have asked for this report and you get a variety of, of excuses, unfortunately, from our election offices. But one of those excuses is, well, we have the physical ballot, so we don't need to provide this report. But we already have the precedent of the SOS saying we're not gonna do any any audits, even in a place like Crow Wing. Right. And so the people who just want transparency, which is the unifying issue, by the way, because no one is against transparency in elections. Right, shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and so that's a cross-party, cross, party, cross yeah. you know, whatever label you wanna put on yourself. I haven't found anyone that will say they are not for transparency. But that cast vote record is still problematic. It's still what the machine's telling you. Now you can match that against what this election management system says, right? So I'm assuming that's what's being done is saying, no, the thing that got input that shows up on the Secretary of State's website matches what the machine says it should be. So therefore there's right. no problem. Right. Well, maybe, but you still don't know what the true positives are that created that machine output unless you had a random sample of receipts from voters, which would be a more flawed way to approach it, or ideally just count the damn ballots. So it's a backup, and, uh, and it, now we are a long ways out from 2020, getting close to that statutory limit, and you're just getting these cast vote records, which are problematic, but they're something. And then you can compare that against what's uploaded into the system or what shows up on a precinct or county level on the Secretary of State's website on election night, and say, okay, well, at least for Fillmore, they matched. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that really gives you much at all because you still don't know, you, you know what it uploaded, uh, but you don't know what was in the box. So the reason it's very interesting is because the cast vote records, and now there have been 500, as of a week ago, there's about 517 of these that were uploaded on a site called ordross.com from the major, all the major vendors across a number of states. There have been other states uh, similar to Minnesota where it's been a struggle to get mm -hmm. these. Um, the reason they're interesting is in, in, in the first case, it's showing people that uh, even their election offices for public data, because there's no secret identification, there's nothing identifying uh, of a Individual voter. voters. Yeah. 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 So we're looking at the aggregation of data for a particular precinct or a county, and you can see, um, okay, here's the absentee, here's the early, and here's the in-person. And so what it does is it, 
it demonstrates statistical evidence of either ballot stuffing or digital manipulation. And when you have 517 of these across the country... So how, does it, how would it do that? How would it show evidence of ballot stuffing, stuffing for example, mm. or ballot harvesting, which yeah. unfortunately we don't have good safeguards around, but ballot harvesting would be um, going to an apartment complex, going to each person's door and saying, hey, can I have your ballot? Would that be... And then turning that in, maybe filled out maybe the blank ballot? I mean, would that be an example? Or how would you describe ballot harvesting? So, so uh, I, I look at ballot harvesting similar to when you were talking about the, the kind of old way. I, I sort of see um, that as a like a voter fraud, like level one problem. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a level two where someone's complicit in the election administration okay. and scanning stacks of ballots. And then this level three is this, even a clerk who's very knowledgeable about the process that they use and even the systems a bit, under, under their nose, something can be done in their county to their numbers through the electronics. So I look at those as three, three okay. different levels. And that level three is, is um, it's difficult to, uh, even for my, to myself, because even while, even while working at you know, Target Corporation, the software division for a couple of years, thinking about how I would subvert an election using the electronic equipment is difficult if I don't have the source code to look at and see how right. it actually works. Um, but in terms of the Cassville record, well, how would it show that there was ballot stuffing or digital manipulation? Well, if I see a certain ratio of a certain county commissioner to another county commissioner during the absentee and early mail-in versus the in pol- versus the in-person polling place we've seen in some areas a 30 percent difference in the voting ratio well that's just, that's an indicator that something probably should be investigated in that area but the pushback would be <clears throat> democrats vote early they were afraid to leave their houses in 2020 so they all cast mail-in ballots so those should predominantly go left Mm-hmm. And then uh, Republicans show up and vote in person on election day. Those should go right, so that those numbers, those buckets, could be skewed normally. So, how would you suss out the difference? You'd have to find what comparable counties with yes, exa- roughly similar exactly. breakdowns demographically of how they vote. So, two seventy percent Trump counties should have pretty similar fractions that vote in person versus mail in. That's right. The breakdown should be the same. That's okay. right. I think it's a bit of a of a still. Probably, I don't know, like I would like to see the data on Democrats versus Republicans, right? absentee versus in-person, because I just don't know. Like I know that was no, the narrative. No, one knows. That's, that's yeah. the narrative, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, yeah. some of it kind of makes sense in a, you know, in, in a pandemic year. Other ones don't. I mean, maybe if you just ballot harvest more, <laughs> which the Democrats, you know, again, uh, seem to be known for, um, then that's what's going to skew that too. Um, right. If you dump in all these harvested ballots as mail-in ballots beforehand. Um, so, okay, so there, so, so there is some value to the cast uh, vote record in terms of looking at some of these other kinds of statistical aberrations that may suggest that there's a problem Correct. underneath the hood. Um, a lot of what it seems like you spent a lot of time on is that kind of level three problem where everyone in the system is an honest actor. Correct. And they don't know fraud is being perpetuated. Uh, it is one person, one vote, so voter ID wouldn't fix th- those level three problems. Those seem to be the most pernicious. Now, source code of value, again, open source voting data would seem to do that. I've heard 
People talk about blockchain voting, which, you know, that's a big detour. But again, that would sign us all that problem too, because everyone gets a receipt and it's all public, mm -hmm. how every vote is cast. Um, this myth that somehow these large governmental vendors, we use three in Minnesota, produce perfectly great code is so wild to me. I think the only person yeah. who could say that is someone who's never written code uh, and someone who's never had, never understood the fact that there are zero day, zero day, what are called zero day exploits. So this is the day the code's written and released, there are flaws in absolutely everything. And that is how large systems get hacked, which is why patching is so incredibly important. But you don't know, like the Israelis have hacked your stuff the day it was released, and they will continue mm -hmm. to hack every iteration of upgrades to your iOS phone and your Android phone because there are always flaws in the code. There's always security loopholes. Mm -hmm. And the only way they get found is a ton of people trying to white hat, exploit it, right? To try and get there and be one of the good guys trying to hack it. We've got a giant military cyber command. Make them try to hack the system, right? We should be ex trying to exploit our own systems so you understand what the vulnerabilities are so you can tighten up the code. Um, but again, you know, part of this is like, why would you do that much effort when you have, just send the pencil to space. Right. Like, we have yeah. paper ballots. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Because the scale of the errors is not onesie twosies, which are bad enough. I mean, you know, in our district, Elliot Enkin, or right next to us, you know, lost by two busloads of votes, like 90-something votes. So those onesie twosies matter. But, you know, the ones we're concerned, many people are more concerned about, or it's easier for them to wrap their head around, or like the Eric Adams, hundreds of thousands of votes in the wrong column. Oops. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens at the level three. So, so what's being done now that all this spotlight's been shown on these areas is how do we address those, those potential kind of, um, you know, the, the, the nation killing type of levels of fraud? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned nation killing because the same Jeff Lundberg who did the Antrim County, and he's also worked in Ontario and other places as well. He talks about how, because he was, he was a nation vulnerability expert for, for uh, this country, and he is trying to get ahead of all the threats. And he said, next to nuclear weapons, like if I didn't take that route, I would take over a country through the elections. Oh, of course. It's bloodless. And if you cover your tracks good enough, you could create enough, especially in the current political environment where there's no discourse, there's only division, you could sow more uh, sedition and rebellion and hate for your neighbor bloodlessly by screwing with their elections. Right. So what are we doing to to remove, so there are, if Jeff O'Donnell, who has been leading the charge in, in the cast vote record realm, he's, he's collecting all of these, he's, he's providing analysis of them, he's working with teams to analyze them to see patterns across states and across counties to see, oh, okay, they use you know, this version of their electronic fraud, this version of the electronic fraud. Um, and by the way, the reason he's able to, to begin spotting those patterns is because of his work uh, which is highlighted in, in the movie Selection Code, um, which dealt with the Tina Peters story in um, Mesa County, Colorado. Um, What's that story in brief? I don't know. Basically, there was a county clerk um, in Mesa County who she felt before the election that her elections were clean. She also felt after the 2020 election that her elections were clean. But people kept coming to her office showing her data that they had found to the point that she was persuaded to take a backup image 
of her Dominion Voting System Election Management System server before a Dominion employee came in and did what was called a trusted build in spring of 21. So they came in and up upgraded. Correct. Ostensibly, security patches, this and that, fine. Okay. She took a, an image after as well. They compared the before and after, and they found proof of manipulation of the database. For one, they found many other things as well, to the point that they could not, they could not verify that the votes cast or the results that were reported in her 2020 election and in her 2021 municipal election in Grand Junction could be verified based upon the electronic manipulation they saw. So after an election, that database remains on some of these? Correct. These county computers? And so you could, in theory, go back and look at what happened at some point in the future? Correct. And so that database, not the code around it that reads it or makes your GUI or makes the images on the screen, uh, the database itself was altered. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre because there'd be no reason to ever update the database. I mean, it's a big table, right? You just leave the table alone. But you can tell if the table's been messed with because the file characteristics change, right? Correct. But there'd be no reason to ever touch that. It would never get touched in an update. I mean, and, and, and think about it like you're just your desktop computer, right? I mean, you update the apps, the underlying data, you know, your Word documents don't change every time your operating system gets an upgrade, right? And that's what happened here was the database change. The thing that should never change appears to have changed. Correct. Um, and not just patching all the software around it. And it changed 14 days before November 3rd. It happened on October 21st, 2020. And the election clerk knew nothing about it. So the person in charge of that election in that county knew nothing about it. So right there, that happened on a Dominion voting system. So right there, if that could happen in one county on a, on a Dominion voting system, that immediately, for me, puts into question any county that's using that particular vendor because the person in charge had no idea that that happened. Right. And what was changed was not insignificant whatsoever. It so how do they know, yeah, was there some qualitative or quantitative analysis of what what changed? Correct. Yeah, they're they're looking at they're looking at this image before, and they're looking at this image after, and so they're looking at. I mean, it's it's if you imagine uh, you're on your own computer, mm -hmm. you can click through your different file trees, and you can see you know you're looking for your photos from last yeah. year. You can you could see what the status um, was of the computer in the first place, complete with log files, which are very important to see what the activity was. Right. This file was changed on this date at this time by this user. One key thing that was changed in the second was that there were a lot of log files missing. But they also found um, that the evidence of that digital manipulation in the before image had also been removed in the after image. So it was almost as though someone was going in there to clean up, tidy it up. Now, were votes cha vote tallies changed or? There were, there were vote tally changes in that case. That's crazy. Yeah. So of course this gets no coverage, but you'll have a, a voting official, public affected official who would testify to it or did, I guess basically said, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know the extent of that potential issue. We know it happened in one place. Things changed that shouldn't have been changed and they were changed without permission to change them. Right. And then that no one was made aware of those changes. Um, log files, potentially voting, or vote, vote, votes, 
and then uh, other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, are all of the vendors equally problematic? Is one of these guys doing a better job? What we were presented with at the Moment of Truth Summit in Springfield in August, uh, there were a number of experts looking at this from different angles. And my takeaway was that the exploits exist on any electronic voting system. Do these and all run on like Windows? Or like are there, like what kind of base OS? I mean, are people mm -hmm. running Linux, Mac OS, Windows, their yeah. own proprietary stuff? Yeah, there's some, there is some, uh, on the, I know if I can speak to the, the Dominion, there is like Microsoft SQL, Microsoft SQL Server. Um, and then when you talk about operating system, that, that's an issue from the security perspective right. because you have, uh, in some cases, it's hard to believe, but you have outdated Someone running uh, Windows XP, uh, yeah, which is yeah. crazy, right? There's ex so many. Ex there's well, there's so many exploits for those systems that uh, Microsoft no longer supports. Correct. So you, if you're running it on a corporate environment, because we get you know HIPAA compliant at work and PCI, and you know you get these notices that like we just no longer support it. In fact, your cybersecurity insurance vendor will say if you're still running this, your policy is not in effect. You can't be running 20-year-old operating systems because right. there's one, too many exploits, and two, there's no active patching. So even if you have the most, the last patch for Windows 2000, there were exploits that were created after that patch. Correct. This is why they have a service life, and you have to then upgrade to the next operating system and then keep those updates going. Correct. Um, so you could have all these voting machines around the country running different patch levels. Dip, same vendor, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not adequate. They're not equally patched. They're they're not patched at the exact same time, and then okay. there's still the zero to exploits out there that correct. You can only patch what you know about. And someone, if you want like the deep technical details to speak to or look at some of this content, is uh, Rick Weibel, uh, Midwest Swamp Watch. He's has an extensive background in this area, and he actually has some of the systems that he bought on eBay, which is another, <laughs> I mean, the fact that these systems are on eBay is a, is a security risk for the rest of the counties that are using that particular equipment. Um, but he's someone who, you know, he is capable enough to not only go on eBay and purchase these systems, but, you know, figure out how they, how they work based yeah. upon the systems that he's purchased. Um, so if he can yeah. do it, then, you know, like France has really, really good um, IT hacking as a governmental kind of deal. They have it. Right. Chinese have it. Who else has it, right? And so if these systems are remotely exploitable, there would be other countries that would have an interest in exploiting them. Um, are they remotely exploitable? We, I mean, we talked about some of this, like this dude walked in and patched this thing in person. Mm -hmm. Are these things hooked up? to the internet? And what security is there around there? So in Antrim, they found, um, for instance, they found 4G wireless modems in the, the, the chassis or the enclosure of the DS200 ESNS, which is the tabulator that's most common in the 2020 election in Minnesota. Okay. Um, now, uh, they weren't expecting to find those because that's not 
part of the configuration for the tabulator. It shouldn't be there. I mean, it, it, you, you mentioned in the beginning, you put a thumb drive in and download stuff to that. That would be an air gap security mechanism, right? You have Correct. to walk up with the thing. You need to have Correct. physical operatives who can go hack all these machines. Yes. Uh, but if there's a modem in there, that means it, it's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, now you could say, well, okay, it's there so we can patch things. Then again, you need to let us know when you're patching things, and you need to let us know that it's remotely upgradable. Like, right? What, why wouldn't that be known? Why, why would that be there? That's odd. Yeah. So that 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 shouldn't be. Um, there, people have talked about the pull e pull pads a lot. Um, What's that? Uh, so those are the iPads that when you oh when you check in. Yeah, and those those are connected to the internet. Um, and um, I've heard stories from election judges where they've been contacted um, to make sure that they are turned, like connect, the internet yeah. connectivity is there. And um, the basic idea there is for synchronization. Uh, demographics, say you yeah. registered same day somewhere and came in, right? Yeah. I mean, I can, I can steel man yeah. that argument pretty easily because that yeah. should be firewalled off from the other side of the system, right? Because yeah. what the iPad check-in is just, are you Neil Shaw at this address so I can give right. you the correct precinct or the correct thing to vote, right? Yes. I mean, there's potential issues there, but it's, they're still not, shouldn't ever be talking to the other side that's... Correct. And so that's where like the internet connectivity from, if, if I'm committing election fraud at this level three, the internet connectivity is, um, it, it's, it's an issue, but it's, it's, like hard to articulate exactly why. What I can speak to is there's a thumb drive that programs and configures my tabulator before the election so that it knows, okay, this is the election design file for this particular election in this precinct so that there, the ovals that are interpreted go to that particular county commissioner candidate mm -hmm. and not someone you know three counties over. Th who, who are those programmed by? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question to ask because we do logic and accuracy testing publicly, usually a couple of weeks before every election, where it's open to the public. We have a test deck of ballots that's going to be scanned through the tabulators, and that's to check that they're interpreting those ovals accurately. But in the case of that, I know the results of the test deck in advance and I know what it should turn right. out. That's right. And uh, that only applies to that one machine, right? You, you know this machine counts these right. things correctly, but. And so a very simple way to alter an election would be to configure that tabulator in such a way with that thumb drive. And if it's not programmed by the clerk, if it's programmed by the vendor, say, then no one would be the wiser because I did the public logic and accuracy test, which I'm statutorily uh, inclined to do, and that came out good. Now the process says on election day, I'm going to configure this tabulator using this thumb drive that someone else programmed. So you can see the problem there. Right. There's there's not oversight on that particular piece. So that's just one of the potential ways that I could. And so what would I do with that configuration? Well, I could, I could create a fractionalized vote. I could make some kind of a swapping mechanism. I could make some of the votes that go to candidate A go to candidate B and C. I could do a number of things in the code uh, based on on that configuration. 
one of the charges was that, look, I went to sleep that night in 2020 thinking Donald Trump had won. I think everyone did, right? I mean, the, 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 the lead looked insurmountable. Yeah. Uh, and then you wake up in the morning and you're like, so depressed. So that was one of the charges was that they saw the votes and that there was this kind of backdoor manipulation, right? Xi Jinping is like, nope, can't <laughs> win. And then just, you know, move some levers on his computer in China and then like the votes changed. Um, is that still a, a concern that the, the, there could be real-time exit poll-based or once you get the votes coming in, you're like, oh, we can't, we can't have this result? Yeah, I, I, th I think the vulnerabilities, um, you know, just from my perspective as a voter, because I'm not, I'm not at the back end able to look at any of, like I don't have the real-time data that the Secretary of State would have, for instance. Right. Um, or that, like an Edison Research or a Seidel, these are some of the companies that we send our data to to provide that election night reporting to the media. I don't have access to the, the data that's coming through on their servers that they can look at in real time. So those, from my perspective as a voter, those uh, issues still exist because we're, by and large, besides a few counties here and there across the country that have decided to go for a hand tally, using the same vendors and same software systems that we're using in 2020. Okay. Uh, so what we did see, and this was what alarmed a lot of the statisticians, is what's now come to be known as coined by Draza Smith, who works with this uh, Jeffrey O'Donnell, as the Edison Zero. So during the night, when the votes stopped counting, well, they were still actually being aggregated uh, across the country. So there actually wasn't a, st a stopping of the vote counting anywhere. They continued, but then there was a zero. It happened at different uh, time intervals across each state, but every state in the Edison data went to zero during the night and then popped back up to its where, around where it was. Yeah. Um, so the speculation there was that there was some kind of an algorithm reset to make sure that the electoral college map, from the perspective of what we're reporting to you, the viewer at home, gets us to abide in victory from the presidential level. What, what's the steel man argument for that? What, why else would you temporarily take it to zero and then bring it back up? Is there a, a way to say like, yeah, we were fixing some thing we saw. I'm just trying to, you know. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's bizarre, right? Because you wouldn't patch something halfway through. That That's terrible. It should all be done by that point. Mm -hmm. And whatever the problems are, you should just write it out at that point. And the code's out there. You should not be messing with it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just a, like, it, it legitimately in the people who could actually see the numbers went to zero. It wasn't just like, oh, this is blip on TV. Like, it wasn't misreported, like the actual thing. Correct. It's the... It, that obviously was never reported, yeah, uh, yeah. but the like by any TV anchor. But I, I believe the data is still accessible to anyone who wants to look at those feeds to see that indeed it did go to zero. Um, I have um, links to part of that in my book, the Minnesota aspect of that, um, where, uh, yeah. There were also other cases in Minnesota where there was a decrease in what should be a rising hill because it's a cumulative Correct. vote. Correct, yes, yep. Uh, so 
in addition to that Edison zero, which was seen in every state. So this was this is looking at it from a different angle of, um, you know, you mentioned <laughs> Xi Jinping. Yeah. Uh, people have asked me like who like who is behind all this because right. you know we we discussed that like clerks and clerks that I speak to, it's I've realized that I. I'm on their team and they're on my team. Right. Like we have to figure out what's going on with our elections if they are being manipulated without us knowing in, in a particular county. Uh, so let's learn together. Um, so in this realm where we're trying to think through like how do we protect ourselves from something that hit us that we weren't expecting? Well, I'm not sure who, who did that to us exactly. I think, I mean, I, I definitely can speculate and I'm happy to go there, but it's clear that there was, from my perspective, that there was coordination. When I see the, the similarities in what happened from state to state and how the data looks, that there's something, uh, there was an electronic exploit that was used and mirrored in different places or different versions of it used in different places. And ultimately, the mountain of absentee ballots that come in, we had a record in this state of 1.9 yeah. million, 1.2 million was the previous high, which is also very high. Yeah. That's really, from my perspective, trying to get us to a place where it ma like things match up. Like there's no way that Biden got 1.7 million votes um, which is nearly 300K over the previous, um, over 2016. Um, but at the end of the day, if I do something electronically, I have to make that match up in the event that an audit's ever done. Okay. But I feel like that's part of the reason why Secretary of State Simon could never allow an audit, even in a place like Crow Wing. Like that was a red flag to me that, okay, like fairly central rural county. But if it's off 5% in Crow Wing, that's terrible, right? But that's about all you could cheat in a place like that, right? Or, or you know, conversely, if Scott Jenkins gets 80% of the vote in downtown Minneapolis, uh, something's gone wrong. <laughs> right, right, Let's be realistic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, right. So the, the, the answers are all lying in boxes that we will be destroyed N now so they Aren't could we at have, 22 months so we passed the 22 month yeah so every county could have deleted their data and destroyed their oh, so you can do shredded both. shredded their their ballots and there would have been no statutory consequences for them doing that okay however it uh, I learned that an email was sent out to county clerks. Friday evening before the weekend of the September 3rd saying hold on to everything I don't know why that email was sent out by Simon uh, I, I believe it came from the office of the Secretary of State okay. because uh, yeah if there was no if there was no um, reason to, to hold on to them they could have now We've been submitting all these public data requests for the cast vote record. Okay. Um, people have been in their county commission meetings saying, please, just hold on. Just save it. Yeah. Right. Just a few more months. So you also had Lindell's team of lawyers send uh, letters to every county clerk 
or auditor in every state who denied the public data request for the CASFO record, saying, look, I have, Mike Lindell has ongoing litigation with one of the machine companies, mm -hmm. yep. and you may be destroying evidence, so right. we prefer you don't. So I, I don't know if that had something to do with it. There was also a case here in Minnesota. There's a Rice County case where uh, they're trying to get public records or public data from the Rice County election. But there was also a case where um, Secretary of State Simon had to appear in, in uh, court on September 7th. So it could have been related to one of those three things, okay. the public pressure, Lindell's lawyers, or that particular case with Simon um, on the 7th. But for f from what I heard, the ballots haven't been shredded so far. So we still have them, which is a, a good sign good. because we have yeah. a window of opportunity to actually find out, am I crazy to think that there, wor there weren't 1.7 million votes that went for Biden? But you know what? I'm, I'm more concerned long-term about all of the down-ballot races. Right. Because we have a lot of um, people that, like are grassroots people, that are challenging their county commissioners coming up in November because their county commissioners haven't done enough in their eyes on this particular issue and other issues. And so they said, you know what, I'm gonna run for county commissioner. So we could have county commissioners for all we know that weren't elected fairly. And maybe that's part of the reason why there's not an, uh, more of a desire to listen to the concerns of the constituents around this particular issue. And you don't, really ever know that it's hard to figure that out although i think part of what my journey has been first as a journalist following rick weibel and learning about his approach but then you know covering these county commissioner meetings with my video camera because even though some of them are live streamed just to capture different angles and learn uh, what people are concerned about has been even though there's a complaint out there that some people are frustrated that something hasn't happened like we Mm -hmm. haven't had a reversal of the presidential uh, results yet. Well, or there's no, yeah. there's no constitutional mechanism for that, right? Yeah. But at least yeah. like, you know, like, well, just count the damn ballots. Yeah. How hard is it? I mean, it might, that would seem to alleviate all or most of the concerns or, or the level three concerns, right? Because yeah. if for some reason, what's in those boxes matches, the problem just seems to evaporate instantly. Like. If someone just asked me to count their change twice, am I really going to say like, no, I counted it once. I'm sure you gave me a 20 and I'm sure I gave you that, that 10. Just count it again. You know, like the, the cost seems inconsequential or very manageable. And you would have a whole lot of people who would just be like, all right, fine. We can get, we can get back right. to those level one and two problems, which are, are, exist, right? No, I don't think any rational person says there aren't issues in the old school voter mm -hmm. fraud way. Mm -hmm. But these nation killer problems would so the solution seems extremely simple now are there any other states where they actually have started to do this in larger amounts or is it just these onesie twosie counties here and there there's there's no state that is fully going to be doing a human hand tally hand count um i believe montana has the most counties okay. in terms of number of counties um but there's a few that are popping up like nye county nevada um Otero County has said they're moving away from electronic voting equipment. Uh, I believe there was a Wisconsin County 
in the last few days that announced they're they're going to go that direction. So it's starting to pick up. Is there something recently about a Pennsylvania county that's? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. going to actually proceed with. There was a lawsuit. They actually sued, mm -hmm. I think, the voting machine vendor to mm -hmm. get some of these things that out in, right. into the public. And so you get discovery in a court case, and you can actually make some of this stuff. You can force them to disclose some of these things. Right. Um, but again, the solution just seems so simple. Like the solutions in those boxes just. Count, yeah. count the votes. And that's where, you know, Crow, I, I said this in public to the Crow Wing County attorney in a public comment at, at Crow Wing County Commissioner meeting that I disagreed with his decision because it was actually his call. Uh, well, he interjected, I believe, in the resolution that was being written to do the forensic audit that, you know what, we shouldn't open, we shouldn't unseal our own ballots here in the county. Let's ask the Secretary of State to do it. So he, he made mm. an opinion of the law that I, I disagreed with. Um, and I let him know that because he set a precedent of, okay, if commissioners want to do an audit, if we just want to count the ballots, we're not going to do it. We're going to ask the Secretary of State. So that's, a, that's moving towards a centralized version right. versus having that local oversight and control that our system is meant to be. So, uh, there, there's that, um, but also what you'll hear is, well, Neil, but we have a post-election review. So every election, we take a sampling of three random precincts in our county, and we look at three races. And it, it, so long as it's within a certain error rate, it's mm -hmm. marked as acceptable, and then we can assume that the rest of the precincts But are those hand-counted, or are those, how do they do that verification? They, they're checking the machine tally against the hand, hand tally okay. at that point. So they actually do hand tally some ballots, in a okay. s but they take a sample. Right. And are they random, or is it always the same precincts, or does it vary? It's, it's meant to be random by a lot. Okay. Now, you then have a few days of preparation before that's actually done. Um, so that's an exploit, in my opinion, if I'm a black That's where hatter. the 4G modem comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you think about it, in Minnesota, 3% and three races, it works out to about a quarter of a percent of every oval statewide. Yeah. So you still have 99.75 ovals that weren't checked. Right. And that's where the cast vote record it has been useful from just a, an awareness raising of as I talk to clerks, look, you're gonna get 100% of the votes right here. It's gonna go a long way towards transparency. It's not everything that we would want if we did an audit. Mm -hmm. We would like to hand tally and look at that and look at a few other things, but at the least you can do is, is that. Because within our public data governance laws, that, that report, is there's nothing that says that that cannot be shared with the public. Sure. And the way that our law is set up, there needs to be a statute that says this report cannot be shared in order for it not to be shared. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a struggle trying to get across this is how things should be working in the state, um, which is what eventually led to that, that lawsuit in uh, Rice County. So here we are. Uh, voting season is open, which is a crazy thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and wh what do we do now? I mean, is it too late for this election? Are there still things things can be done here? Do we wait and see how bad things are before we figure out next steps? What would you suggest? What should people be doing that are interested in this idea? Mm -hmm. uh, we can still ask for those cast vote records because now you can let your 
county know like, hey, Fillmore County and one other county that's going to be uh, shared sometime soon, they were able to produce it even though the Secretary of State was in a uh, Star Trib or Pioneer Press piece saying, I think some of these requests are impossible to, to, uh, um, to meet, basically implying that these cast vote records wouldn't be provided. So, but they've been provided. So good for Fillmore and good for this other county. Like now people can say, look, you're not gonna be the first one to do this. Fillmore County, they're okay. Like, mm -hmm. They still have their jobs, they're following the procedure and the law, they're providing some transparency. So that's one. Two is um, Minnesota Statute 206.58 says that counties as well as municipalities can choose whether they want to use voting machines or not, electronic voting machines. So that gives commissioners as well as supervisors the chance to draft a resolution that says we want to go to a hand tally instead. So my city could throw the machines in the dumpster and count hand tallies and hand that in the Secretary of State. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's, it's coming down to courage because I think that there will be a lot of pressure on places that attempt something like that. We saw what happened in Haven Township where all they wanted to do was hand tally and machine tally 369 votes. <laughs> and some, something happened, I don't know what happened, something happened where they were persuaded not to do that even though they had just passed a resolution that said we're intending to do this. It's uh, crazy, but yeah. at the same time, it's not crazy. Yeah. We were the only uh, campaign at the Republican uh, convention in Rochester that wanted to hand tally the votes. That's what it seemed like from because I know our supporters, I know how many we had, I know what that vote was. And it's crazy to me that people there pretended to care about election integrity and then when it had a chance to have your own house clean, no, we've, we've got our own little electronic tabulators. There's no way that we can count 2,000 votes quickly enough. We're never going to get endorsements. And if you have 200 vote counters counting 2,000 votes, you can count the vote 10 times in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be about the same speed as doing the electronics, maybe five minutes more. And we would have gotten out of there with all the same endorsees. But you can even see how people there, right, the act allegedly activist component of the Republican Party, many of whom either do or pretend to care about election integrity, couldn't even keep their own thing clean yeah. when it came time to actually do it and take a vote that would mandate that you have these electronic. And the party leadership was nowhere to be found. They wanted the electronic voting because, well, we'll never know why. But um, it's not that hard to count paper ballots. It's very fast. Yeah. If yeah. you have a lot of people counting and you can count it four different ways, five different people and whatever. So that seems to me like the, the, the solution that we should aim for as a country. Yeah. Um, and again, I have no problem with the machines as long as there's a, a mandatory hand verification after the count. Like, I love getting those numbers. You know, yeah, great, give people some direction where this is going, but these aren't the official numbers until X number of days have passed and we've counted all these things. And then do all that in a public way, you know, get open source code available for the machines. I don't understand why the machine vendors feel like the code has to be a profit center for them. The profit should be in the machine and the maintenance fees and things break and this, yeah, you can make enough, you know, you make plenty of money that way. Mm -hmm. Just run, you know, the code that we've all vetted that's open source code on all the machines. And let's figure out where the exploits are, if there are any, and let's always still do the hand count behind the scenes. Um, those seem like very reasonable solutions. I don't understand why anyone, regardless of which party they voted for, would be against, against that. Because those have no bearing on who you've let in to vote, right? Those are all separate conversations. Let's take those off the table. Let's 
put them out here and we can argue about how long the voting season should be or if there should be one at all and ranked choice voting, this and that. Let's just argue about what happens once you get that piece of paper and how mm-hmm. that gets put into what the final vote tally is. And we can all or should all be on the same page when it comes to saying, yep, that needs to be verifiable. It's got to be impossible to hack, and it's very hard to hack paper ballots counted by human beings. That's right. So you've written a book about this? Yes. Briefly, what's... It's called Selections in Minnesota, How Machines Control 2020, and Why We Should Return to Hand-Counting Paper Ballots. Um, at what point did it become inescapable to you that, 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 that it had to go that way, that we had to go to hand-count to really be secure? Not as early as some people. I think some people knew, like, within a few days, okay, like, we've got to get rid of, I mean, like you brought up before the election, we've had DEFCON, I think, 29, not DEFCON, uh, yeah, the the event where yeah. they um, show how vulnerable the machines are and so on. People have known probably since these were introduced how vulnerable they are, the people that really know. Uh, for me, it was, it was partway through 2021, um, but... In terms of a, a story that I can tell, when I went to Lindell's first event in, in August 2021, they set up a mock election and they showed us how easy it would be to flip votes. The question that we were voting on was, was Fox or CNN uh, more guilty of lying? <laughs> and so That's a tough one. it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted an option C. Uh, and so they showed us how they, you could swap votes. Um, right there in front Using of the us. hardware that Correct. some people vote on. Correct. Um, and then in this follow-up event a few months back in August, I guess it was only last month, I was shown a vote swap in less than 30 seconds that was untraceable by the system. And then I was shown that same vote swap in the back end using a thumb drive, hands-free, and that same executable program from an iPhone across the room. And then I, I, I saw, okay, that's just one of many ways that this could be done. And that was done like that. Right. So that was just further confidence for me of if it's, if it's that simple and this is, this is an expert that clearly he has a system in front of him because he's right. part of the investigating team. And he's not a nation state, right? You put nation state resources behind this that have a vested interest in destroying the greatest country that humans have ever created. And yeah. uh, the magnitude gets that much bigger, right? Yeah. How many more exploits are that this guy doesn't know? Because there's a team of Chinese hackers or Russian hackers or whoever it is trying to, trying to do it. Right. Um, what got Mike Lindell so interested in this? Was it just that he was friends with Trump and he felt like his buddy was totally agree? Like, was he always yeah. into this or was it, it was t- Trump losing that kind of got him? I have no idea what really got him into it. That's actually a really good question. I, I'd like to research that because he has been... Give him a call when the FBI gives him his phone back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he, he has this famous phrase of we've got to melt these machines down and turn them into prison bars. Mm. Uh, just so that they're recycled at least. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's been... He's been one of the kind of, you know, stalwart, you know, patriots behind this because um, even where, you know, I may have my differences in presentation from him, mm-hmm. he's just been so solid. Uh, he's, he's stood by what he's found. And, you know, he made some claims about vote flipping in 2021, which, once again, if we had just hand counted some mm-hmm. counties, we could have disproved Lindell right there and sure. then. Right. Um, and the latest piece is 
is him really giving Jeffrey O'Donnell a platform with this cash vote record so we can really see here's how the fraud happened electronically across the nation. And they're building that, that picture right now. Um, and I think that will be visualized to the American people at some point, uh, hopefully soon. And then he also um, just, um, just purchased, I believe, part of uh, the data that Dennis Montgomery had. So that's a whole other like, avenue to go down and explore. And I think a lot of it's not public yet anyway. But um, there was a lot of, of confusion being in person at the Cyber Symposium in 21 of like, what are we being shown here? We, we, we have this discussion of PCAPs and these, these um, intrusions that came in and the vote flipping. But being there, I wasn't able to see that data for myself. Mm -hmm. And even some of the data people weren't able to see it. So it was unclear of what was going on there. Was this kind of a, a vetting process happening? You know, did he not have certain data that he thought he had at that point that he now has? So there were a lot of questions that I think um, people rightfully had because Lindell is a business guy and he's a marketer. He really mm -hmm. like hypes things up. So, but again, he could easily be uh, disproven by a Just simple audit. Ballots. That's right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, and you would think if you were a Mike Lindell hater, that would be like the easiest, lowest hanging fruit. So what are you afraid of? Open up the boxes, count votes in a few counties, and either, right. well, either we're in a big shitstorm or yeah. he goes away, right? Because if you wanted to take away his power, you just show that like, look, it's, it's not there. Yeah. Um, why are they so afraid to open the boxes? Yeah. Um, so what do you say to folks who are like, man, I think 2020 was stolen. Uh, I don't think my vote counts. Will you vote? This November eighth, yeah, yeah. I so vote. What do you say to those I folks? vote not because I think the system uh, can so easily be subverted, um, or that like the machines, you know, can be rigged in all these different ways, or that your vote can be stolen or swapped away, or or uh, canceled by an illegitimate absentee ballot, mm -hmm. or some other kind of voter fraud or election fraud. But I vote because. There are a lot of grassroots patriots standing up from, you know, dog catcher to county commissioner to school board to house to Senate in my state, in my area, because they realize that we need a new cast of people representing us in government because the current cast has done so little where they could have done so much to help in all these causes that we're talking about. And so they're from my from my perspective there may be a few like um like good eggs within government within minnesota mm -hmm. um and even at the county commissioner level where i've met a lot of the commissioners and i still have my suspicions i've also seen some really great bright spots but even then there's been two years of of chance to take action and show some courage on these issues and so i'm voting to give some of this new group of people who've realized, you know what, I've stood in the back and I've not participated in government like I should have all these years. And now I've learned some of the laws, I've learned about this issue, that issue, and I'm getting involved. I'm voting because they've stood up and I wanna support them. And um, if there is a chance to um, overwhelm the algorithms, then maybe my vote will be the one that does it. Sure. Or make it so obvious that there are algorithms there, right? I mean, it's, right. you can 
the Chicago win, Bears win the Super Bowl, you know, things have gone wrong and you should investigate what's yeah. uh, precipitated that. So I know you've got a heart out and I really appreciate you, one, putting all the money and time and effort into, you know, writing about this. I think it's pretty clear from this conversation, you know, if someone was skeptical or on the fence, you're eminently reasonable. And I think that many of the people, or maybe most or all of the people involved in this process are of that same inquisitive, skeptical mindset, right? I want to see data. I want to see this. But man, I just don't see the compelling reason to not count these votes. And so <laughs> it, it seems like we have a solution that we can do now that either puts this issue to bed or makes us ask the right questions to repair it. It behooves all of us left, right, or center to ask those questions, do that investigation, and make sure the votes were counted correctly going forward. And my hope is that, you know, people continue to ask those questions and have the courage to stand up at the county clerk or city supervisor, or city council, or county commissioner level because they actually have an enormous amount of power to actually force this issue. And um, hope we can get this sorted out because, you know, if it's, if it's going to be four more years of Stacey Abrams thinking she's the uh, <laughs> governor of Georgia, that's about <laughs> it. So thanks again for making time to come out here today. And uh, it's been a pleasure to look forward to speaking again in the future. Thank you, Neil, for everything, because you were definitely in the forefront of, um, you know, the election fraud that we saw at the delegate level here in Minnesota leading up to the convention. And I think that helped really open people's eyes of, okay, there, if this can happen in my BPOU and lack transparency from the party, then that's a gate. That's been a gateway for people one, that I talk to of looking at the electronic level at the state level or the national level as well. So thank you for stepping. Well, in I appreciate and being it. A role I, you know, model. it's funny when you mentioned yeah. it. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I've repressed. It's like PTSD, all these terrible memories. But there was massive, massive fraud um, when it came to making the delegates. And that's that's down to that level one, two fraud because those were hand counted ballots. Mm -hmm. So we can go all into who counts the votes and who, what room they get locked away in. And, you know, can you watch that? Or do you get observers kicked out? And as long as there's power to be had, there will be bad people who unfortunately want to try to manipulate it and not win legitimately. And I think that it moves all of all patriotic Americans to take a firm stance against that at every level from dog catcher all the way up. Um, but it starts with people being aware that they have a problem. And I hope yeah. that this conversation has helped illuminate for people that there is indeed a problem or a massive potential problem with very reasonable, rational, easy and cheap solutions. And they should get involved in the fight and start asking those questions. So amen to that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.